Park last night was 14K. And I'd say there were maybe 10K actually in the park. 14K is below the average attendance for the season. How can the Pirates get those people back? The people who don't go anymore or who go less? I don't think the Pirates can. I honestly don't think the Pirates can. And I bet the current average of 16K per game is going to hold give or take. Let's say it goes up to 18K, the average, by season's end. That would give the Pirates about 1.45 million customers on the season, which would be their lowest figure since PNC Park opened in 2001. And if that happened, Bob Nutting will not be happy. Oh, the Hillbilly Prince will still make a ton of money, thanks to the miracles of TV money, revenue sharing, and the tech sale, crap like that. But it won't be the amount of money Nutting wants to make. So, if attendance doesn't pick up dramatically, the Pirates are going to trade Josh Harrison by the deadline. No doubt on that at all, because the Hillbilly Prince is going to get paid. And let's make it very clear. The decline in attendance has zero to do with any boycott. There is no boycott. Let's also make it clear, the media has zero to do with declining attendance. The reason attendance is down and not picking up at a time when it usually does. The reason is because a lot of customers just don't trust power and ownership, and that dates back to 2015 when they slammed shut their own window of opportunity and did so right on the fans' fingers. Milwaukee is doing it right. The Pirates did not. again brought to you by 84 lumber helping you build the right way since 1956 last night when Musgrove took out Baez and then got in his face it got a big pop from the crowd and you would expect that but it was more relief it sounded more like relief like oh finally thank God these guys aren't going to wimp out all the time. Somebody grew a set. Thank God. Actually, I think Joe Musker probably had a set in the first place. Just didn't pitch Monday or Tuesday. You know, I keep hearing Rich Rodriguez getting defended. Not the former West Virginia coach, but the Pirates relief pitcher. Because he didn't hit Rizzo in the ninth on Monday, you know, uh, Rizzo's next at bat after the slide that, that almost took out Diaz. People were blaming Rodriguez, but then he got defended. With people saying, oh, he's just a rookie. You can't put that kind of pressure on him, blah, blah, blah. Maybe Rich Rodriguez is a rookie, but he's 27. He's been in professional baseball for going on 10 years. He had to have known that was the spot to plunk Rizzo. Had to have known. That has to be unspoken. Nobody should need to have told him, but he had to know. I just can't 
make... I just can't get past them chickening out on Monday and Tuesday. Mosgrove, that, that doesn't make up for it. Or Liz Bloom from the Post-Gazette uh, just talked to Mosgrove and quoted him as saying, I wasn't trying to hurt bias by any means, but I was trying to go in hard like their guy did, so he should have got out of the way, I guess. Which not only is a great way to justify the slide, because that's all it was, was hard baseball. Certainly if that's all that Rizzo's slide on Monday was, and of course that's tweaking Madden, who kept lecturing that Diaz doesn't know what he's doing. Diaz has to learn. Diaz has to get out of the way. And I still can't believe Jason Kendall defended the slide. Former pirate, catcher, defends Rizzo's slide and says, you know, agrees with Madden that, that Diaz has to learn. I don't know if they invite Jason Kendall back for anything. If they do, they shouldn't moving forward because he was a dink. He, he ripped apart the clubhouse when he was here. Never won a thing. Y- you know, don't, don't bring that guy back. Just don't. There's a lot of guys that were decent players they should never bring back. Like Brian Giles, the club's all-time leader in on base, in slugging, in an OPS. Total steroid freak, total waste of time, never won a thing, ripped the clubhouse apart. And that team back then had enough decent players where if the veterans hadn't been so busy trying to intimidate the rookies like Jack Wilson back then, and they'd all pulled the same rope from the start, that team could have come closer than it did. The only time it did was that freak show year, 1997. But that team could have and should have come closer than it did. 412-333-0980, 412-333-9939 is the number to call. Pittsburgh Sports Now, which is just a fan site. I mean, they think they're pros, but it's just a fan site. They say the two Eastern teams have made offers for Phil Kessel. I haven't heard that. It would not surprise me, but take that with a grain of salt because that's just a fan website. That's all it is. But uh, Take that back. It's below-the-line media guys who can't get real jobs. That's what it is. Part-timers. Well, Bob Grove's real good, and he writes there because he has a real full-time job. Works for Port Authority Transit, but uh, otherwise. (laughs) 412-333-9939. Let's go to Kenny in Turtle Creek. Kenny, you're on with Double M. Hi, Mark. How are you? Good, Kenny. I know I should find myself rooting for Vegas, but for whatever reason, there's a part of me that's rooting for Washington. I mean, I, I don't know what it is, but see, like seeing Ovechkin do Okay, I, I, I can tell you why. Let me see if it matches your reasons, okay? Okay, yeah. I think Ovi deserves a cup. I mean, you don't deserve a Stanley Cup. You have to win it. But I think he's done enough over his career and competed hard enough where it would not bother me to see him win it. I don't like the idea Ryan Reeves win it. I don't like the goon who passes himself off as a celebrity who jumps in front of every camera. I found and still do find Ryan Reeves very irritating in that regard. I don't like that the Vegas fans think they invented hockey. I hate the Vegas Golden Knights Twitter account. More of me is rooting for Vegas than not because of Flower and Neil or an Engo, but but I can see reasons to, to pull for the Capitals too. 
I mean, it's amazing. They came into the NHL in 74-75, and last night was their first Stanley Cup win ever as a franchise. First Stanley Cup final win. Yes. That's amazing. Right, they were 0-5. They had been swept in their previous Stanley Cup final by the Red Wings. I want to say that was 97, maybe? And uh, Okay, you know better. Don't do that again. And uh, then they lost the first game of this final. So, yeah, it, it, it was an amazing record, wasn't it? Yeah, it is. And it, that save, oh, my God. If they win, uh, you've alluded to it, but if they win the Stanley Cup, that's going to be one of the best saves of all time. I mean, that was just incredible. As a hockey fan, you just got to appreciate that sort of excellence. Thank you for the call. Here's the lineup for the Pirate game tonight. Austin Meadows isn't in it. Polanco is. Let me make this clear because I I thought I had. Polanco stinks and should almost never play. He stinks and should almost never play. And there's his reward for being lackadaisical in the first inning last night, making that dumb throw and giving the batter second base. Polanco stinks and should almost never play. Yeah, he got the sacrifice fly. I, I I heard somebody say that on the way out of the park last night. Well, at least Belonka got a sacrifice fly. Yo, when you're celebrating somebody's sacrifice fly, you're really commenting on how far he's fallen. Let's go to Grant and Wexford. Grant, you're on with Double M. Hey, Mark. I was listening to your uh, monologue at 4 o'clock, and right. I wanted to say that I think that how are the Penguins going to get, or the Pirates going to get back their fans from 15, 14, 15, 16? But I think the, the players, the people that went in 15 during that period of time are a bunch of idiots. I can't believe they even trusted that, that they'd even do no, well. No, that's not true. With. Everybody supports the winner. Every team needs bandwagon fans. But they're losing people that were going, I mean, bro, right now, they're on pace to have their lowest attendance ever at PNC Park. That means they're chasing people away that were going, during the 20-year under 500 streak. I think a lot of the people that used to go are now getting too old to go. Maybe they'll die. Liz Bloom uh, says about the Musgrove thing, given the responses to this, I can only assume the Pirates will be unveiling the Joe Musgrove slide statue any day now. Uh, Liz, don't underestimate the impact of somebody standing up to a bully on a team that has made a habit out of being bullied. I mean, she's like Gladdy dying, oh, it's no big deal. Maybe it is a big deal. Maybe it's a big deal that somebody finally, you know, sowed some fortitude. I mean, it felt like a big moment last night to the couple dozen people that were in the stands at the time. It just, you know, you know, usually that stuff doesn't matter. When this team has been emasculated so often by the Reds, the the Cubs, you name it, they get intimidated by them. It mattered. No matter what anybody says, it mattered. I know because I was there, and I'm 1-0. 412-333-9939. Oh. is the number to call. We got Josh Owey talking hockey at the bottom of the hour. You're listening to 105.9 X. And now, the super genius, Mark Madden. Double M, what's up? Hey, how you doing, Mark? A lot of gibberish, a lot of booze, a lot of public urination. The X at 105.9. Double M on the X. I just say to my boss, John Mishita, in the men's room, 
And by the way, a star like me should have his own personal men's room, but I don't. That's a different conversation altogether. You ever been at like somebody's private men's room in a big time corporate place? Oh, it's so nice. Like it's a handicap stall, whether you're handicapped or not. There's a urinal. There's usually a chair like at the sink, almost like a, a vanity type thing. Man, that's what I need. That's definitely what I need. You know what else too? Here's something that's sexist. If you go in a woman's restroom, there's usually a couch. How come there's not a couch in a men's restroom where I could take a nap? For sure that's the case. The, the, the restroom's on this floor. The men's room does not have a couch. The women's room does. What up with that? Anyway, I said to my boss, I may have alienated all the pirate callers. And, and that's okay because I, I think that the people who still listen during pirate season are the ones who agree with me about the way the pirates are run, but you can only talk about that in so many varying ways. But the nuts and bolts of a great game last like last night, I'd love to talk about it. The way Musgrove pitched. Think about this. Think about the Musgrove line. Seven innings, which how much of a rarity is that right there? Seven innings. I went to the game with my buddy Dave Dorsey, who coaches uh, Junior A Hockey out in Harmerville. And we were expecting Musgrove to get pulled after the fifth. But then he pitched the sixth, then he pitched the seventh. Just an amazing honor, considering he threw 25 pitches in the first inning. I think he was at, what, 94 maybe when they finally pulled him. So uh, Musgrove pitches seven, a lot of seven hits and four walks. I mean, that's whip it, whip it good. Not much whip there, I mean. That was kind of an analytics joke. Whip, walks, and hits divided by innings pitched. Get it, whip. So he pitched his way out of a bases loaded jam in the first, only allowed the one run. Confronted Baez after a perfect takeout slide. And he had a great sacrifice bunt and hustled down the line when he laid it down. That was quite a night for Joe Musgrove. Maybe they should erect the statue of him outside PNC Park. Because there hasn't been much cause for erection this year. Uh, wait a minute. Let's go to Nick in the car. Nick, you're on with Double M. Hi. I was uh, wondering what your opinion was on like the uh, Tampa Bay style that they kind of showed like a week or so back where they uh, put in, like, a reliever for the first inning and to take out the uh, one, two, three, and then they have the, uh, I guess it would technically be a long reliever then, but they have the starting pitcher pitch. Yeah, uh, okay, I'm not against it, but describe for me what good it does. It really doesn't. I was, like, kind of Because you're not getting an extra batter in there. Like, if it was the National League, you know what you could do? You could start the relief pitcher. This is only when you're at home. You could start the relief pitcher... Bat him first, pinch hit somebody to lead off the game, and then you get an extra hitter through the first 17 batters. And even that would be yeah. a minimal impact, obviously. But, but like, I don't see what good it does. And, unless you're just going to declare, I think what Tampa's saying is every so often going to have a bullpen day, right? Where the bullpen just takes the game and there's no real starting pitcher per se, except for the guy who starts the game and 
he stays in momentarily. I don't know. I, I think it's I think it's refreshing. I don't think it does any good, but I like to see different things applied. I'll give you an example, Nick. Yeah. Are, are you an analytics guy? Are you a fan? Uh, more analytics than than gut, but yeah. Okay. Uh, the big number is OBP. That is the number Uber Alice with OPS just behind, correct? Yeah. It has been proven literally millions of times through computer simulation that every team would do better to bat their lineup in descending order of OBP or OPS. Descending order. In other words, if you have the highest OBP, depending on what number you pick, let's say OBP. If you have the highest OBP, you bat first. Second highest, you bat second. You're not worried who's a cleanup style hitter. You're not worried who could run in the leadoff spot. Just OBP. Under, of course, the not-too-difficult-to-figure-out theory that you want your guys who have good OBP or OPS to get the most at-bats, right? Right. That's been proven through millions of simulations to make a team better, and no one will do it. They stick to the traditional way of formulating a lineup. Makes no sense, right? Right. I mean, over, I guess, I'd say there is value in like a case by case basis, occasionally changing up from like a, an analytic style. Like, for example, if well, you now, but a, here's the thing. Your, Forgive the interruption, Nick, but if you're, yeah. if, if you, if you want to use analytics, you have to stick to it 100%. Once you start playing hunches, you, you file the analytics. That's true. And I can't believe some crappy team like Tampa Bay hasn't done that, hasn't arranged their order in that regard. Maybe someday a team will. Like like um uh, it like when, when McCutcheon was in his prime, it would have done them good to have him bat leadoff because he would have got yeah. up more. It, it's so simple and nobody will do it. Let's go to Bob and Baldwin. Bob, you're on with double M. Hey, Mark, thanks for taking Bucko's calls. I, I know you mentioned um in jest that, you know, Musgrove, the statue thing. But that got me thinking, will there ever be another pirate to get immortalized like that outside of Pittsburgh's baseball stadium, whatever that may be? No, because I don't think any pirate will ever stick around long enough to do so. Well, how about this then? Will any pirate, again, get his number retired or ever make the Hall of Fame? Well, well, well you see, well, the Hall of Fame thing, will anybody make the Hall of Fame as a pirate? I don't know if Kutch makes it. I guess Kutch would go in as a pirate, but Kutch isn't going to make it. Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, you could always retire a number of a guy who doesn't deserve it, really, or mm-hmm. act like he was part of your team when he was really more part of some other team. Then again, they haven't done that with Barry Bonds, have they? No, he still has that cloud hanging over him, though, you know? What cloud's that? Well, there's obviously the uh, the... I guess the the conjecture that he was painted by performance enhancing. Well, don't forget though, when he was here, he was clean. I I suppose, yeah. I mean, that that would be you'd have to have the magic formula to figure out when he did it and when he didn't. You know, I guess when he was, Um, you know what? Or you could just trust your eyes and look at film of him here and film of him starting at around 1998, and and you could figure out that he was clean here. Uh, you, You don't need to make somebody pee in a cup to figure out the obvious. Well, you're right, but how about how about this then, Mark? Is there anybody? It, let's say Bonds never makes it because of the the bias against the PED users. Do you? I, I can't foresee anybody in the near future, or maybe even distant. Well, future. if Barry made it, he'd go in as a giant. But go ahead. Yeah, well, I, I'm talking about anybody who's ever even laced them up for the Pirates at some point, going into the Hall of Fame. I, I can't think of anybody as a pirate. 
No, just in general. Oh, no, that's dumb. Goodbye. Obviously, somebody's going to come along who's a great player and goes into the Hall of Fame that at some point played for the Pirates. Although I can't think of any right now. Josh Owey next, 105.9. This is Phil Kessa of the Pittsburgh Penguins. You're listening to Mark Madden, the best hockey talk on 105.9 The X. Joining me now to talk hockey from theathletic.com, it's Josh Owey. Josh, have the Capitals solved Marc-Andre Fleury? They're making that one extra pass to great effect, uh, getting the occasional empty net because Flurry plays very aggressive. Uh, he does. Um, the, you know, Flurry knows them very well, and he knows and they know Mark Andre Flurry very well. So maybe there's something to that. I also think there's a lot of other things to consider. I just think it's been a surprisingly wide open series so far. There's been a lot of great offensive opportunities for both teams. Flurry hasn't played great. He also had a week off, which maybe wasn't the best thing for him the way he was playing. But uh, he has played a lot of really good games in his career uh, in Washington, and I suspect he will rebound a little bit. Holtby made that unbelievable save late to preserve that lead and win that game, Josh. That could be iconic, like the Peter Angelo save in Pittsburgh, but the Capitals have to win the Stanley Cup for that to happen. Uh, Yeah, they absolutely do. But that was an enormous moment for them, no question. And when you think about Braden Holtby, it's very easy now to forget. At the end of the regular season, the Capitals went with Philip Grubauer in their biggest game of the season in Pittsburgh. Grubauer beat the Penguins. Then they went with Grubauer in the first two games against Columbus. And since then, Holtby, I would say, along with Marc-Andre Fleury, or maybe other than Marc-Andre Fleury, has clearly been the best goaltender in the playoffs. He's played some of the best goal of his career, so... I give him a lot of credit. He that that was not an easy situation he was in. He he's shown some real mental toughness. Played great against the Penguins, and yes, that was a save. I can still hear Doc Emmerich yelling in my ears. He got so excited at that save, and understandably so. That was an unbelievable save. Um, McNam got Kuznetsov pretty good. Looked like a clean hit to me, but Trotz called it a high hit, and Wilson flopped like a fish after Reeves hit him. So I still don't like the Capitals. And I hate, in particular, when Wilson does it, it's a hockey play. When it's done to the Capitals, it's a high hit. Every time. Uh, yeah, the Capitals are well, they're pretty good heels, aren't they? They're I unlikable. Terminology. Yeah, they are. Um, and and Trotz, you know, Perry Trout always plays dumb. and you know, some, That's why I kind of like the Mike Sullivan approach. He just doesn't really talk about the other team at all. And so you can kind of recently, he'll defend his own players, but he won't take a shot at anyone else. Whereas when Trotz does it and then he defends his own player, when a hit is obviously dirty, it drives you crazy. And I really didn't like that Wilson hit in game one, by the way. I, you know, it's the kind of hit the NHL keeps letting him do it. And, and yeah, they did suspend him once this postseason, but when you don't suspend the guy over and over again, he's going to keep doing stuff like that. And clearly he hasn't learned his lesson, and somebody's going to get hurt before it, before he does learn his lesson, if he ever does. If Kuznetsov is out, how bad does that hurt? Because Eller certainly stepped up last night, as he did for a bit when Baxter was out. But boy, if this series still has five games to run, i got to figure it catches up. Uh, yeah, if Kuznetsov can't play the rest of the series, I, I think it's a huge problem for the Capitals. Other than Ovechkin... I think Kuznetsov has been their best player this spring. Uh, he, you know, we know how important the center position is, and we saw it you know, last year when Ryan Johansson couldn't play for the Predators in the final. What a huge deal that was! When you lose your number one center, that's big. 
and yeah, they're still pretty good there with Backstrom, who is now healthy enough to play. Lars Eller is a guy I really like. He's a good player, but it still hurts their depth a lot. And one thing about Vegas, they're not great down the middle. That was, to me, a pretty pronounced advantage for the Capitals because of Kuznetsov and Backstrom. If you take him out, that really minimizes the impact they have down the middle. And uh, that might be what it takes to push this series in Vegas' favor. I, I think Vegas has had the better of the play in a lot of these first two games. It's going to be a long series, but if he's out, that's a huge problem for the Capitals. Ovechkin scored and the Capitals won. That's not coincidence, is it? No, it's not. They, they need him to keep scoring, in fact. That's what he does. He's been terrific all postseason. He really has. He, he's just been a model of consistency when it comes to goal scoring and you know, people are sometimes critical of him over the years for not being a good enough leader in the postseason or whatever that is even supposed to mean. But he's paid to score goals, and he almost always does in the playoffs. That's you know, uh, it's not usually his fault when the Capitals lose. He always produces, and he he got a big one last night. But yeah, they don't have that much depth. Their third and fourth lines are okay, but they don't score a lot. They're not unlike the Penguins in that regard. Uh, the Capitals need their stars to play like stars. And Ovechkin is the biggest star of them all for the Capitals, obviously. So, yeah, he's going to have to score a few more goals for them to win this series. And it's so interesting, Mark, this matchup with Ovechkin and Marc-Andre Fleury because some of Fleury's most iconic moments have been saves against Ovechkin. But uh, Ovi also has really good numbers against Mark. He scored a lot of goals against him over the 32 years. 32 so, goals in 52 games. That's a ton. Uh, that is a ton. So it's not like Fleury has always had great success against him. He's just had a couple of big saves at the right moments against him, I would say. But they know each other well, and it's just a great matchup. There are not two players at their respective positions more fun to watch than those two guys. We're talking to Josh Joey from TheAthletic.com here on the X. Uh, Orpik scored in the Caps one. That's probably not coincidence either. Uh, how do you think Flurry felt after that goal? I bet Orpik never scored on him in practice when they were both in Pittsburgh. I don't know. Mark's not very good in practice. Brooks may have scored against him a ton for all we know. But, um, uh, no, you're, you're right. Um, I certainly didn't expect Brooks Orpik, of all people, to score a goal in the Stanley Cup final. Uh, I'm sure he will let Mark know about that at the appropriate time. But um, good for Orpik. And I have to say, Orpik has had a little bit of a bounce back this season, Mark. Uh, they've watched his minutes. He's not playing the minutes he once did. But he has been a really steady force for them. And i got to say, last year, I thought the Penguins really took advantage of him in the playoffs. I thought he was about done. And uh, he proved me wrong this year. He's been pretty solid for them, I would say. Well, I think the less he plays, the better. I think they find a solid yeah. workload for him that's not too much. No, that's right. And sometimes, yeah, he's 37 years old. He's not the player he was 10 years ago, nor would you expect him to be. But for a defenseman that age who has such limited offensive ability, he still gives them enough quality minutes. I would say that. Uh, Vegas has only trilled once in a playoff series. How big is Game 3 at D.C., and how will Vegas react if they lose that game? Because I keep waiting for their inexperience to show. Maybe it never will, but but I keep waiting. You know, that's the funny thing. They literally have not been in trouble this postseason at all. I mean, at all. Whereas the Capitals, they lost the first two games of the playoffs at home against Columbus. Then had to go to overtime in Game 3. So they've already dealt with a heavy amount of adversity Vegas has been so dominant that they haven't dealt with any. So maybe that's a credit to Vegas, and maybe they'll just go out and win game three and keep on rolling. Wouldn't shock me. But I'm fascinated to see if they fall behind uh, how exactly they handle it. But that said, 
they do have a bunch of guys who have been there before, starting with their goaltender. So I don't expect them to get rattled if it happens. But I'm kind of curious to see how they would handle it because everything about this team is just so extraordinary. What they've done, um, how they've gone about it, you name it. That um, The only thing we haven't seen is them on the ropes yet. So maybe it will happen. I don't know. I feel like it's a pretty evenly matched series. So I certainly expect it will go six or seven games. Is it just me or do the Caps look tired? I thought they looked tired last night, even in winning. Um, yeah, I, I think that's fair. And the thing about the Caps, they're a big team, a heavy team. And teams like that, when they wear down this a little bit, you'll notice they look slow. And that's really why I picked Vegas to win the series. Um, Vegas doesn't really play like the Penguins, but they have one thing in common. They're really fast. And if the Capitals have been susceptible to anything the last couple of years, it seems to speak. You can see it in the counterattack a lot. Now, when the Penguins were beating the Capitals the last two springs, it was absolutely because they were a faster team. And you see that with Vegas. And, yeah, I, I think the Capitals are starting to slow down a little bit. And everybody does this time of year. But keep in mind, the Capitals, uh, they have had a real war through the Eastern Conference. Six games against Columbus, six against Pittsburgh, seven against Tampa. Now, Vegas has played a handful fewer games and haven't really been engaged in many physical series either. So I suspect Vegas is absolutely the pressure team. What's your call, Josh? Where's this series go from here? Um, if I were a betting man, I'd say they'll probably split these next two games in Washington. But I, I picked Vegas to win the series, and nothing I've seen so far in the series indicates otherwise. I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I, I think the expansion team might be the slightly better team. Oh, I agree. I picked Vegas in six, and I see no reason to uh, stray from that. Uh, I want to get a little Penguin talk in. The Penguins have five restricted Free agents, Simone, Kuhnhockel, Rust, Alexiak, and Shane. How many of those will likely be retained, and who are the priorities? Well, I think most of them will be. Uh, the priorities are Rust and Alexiak. Uh, Brian Rust isn't going anywhere. Oh, I guess a, a trade with him is always a possibility because they have so many right wings. But the Penguins love Rust. He's not going anywhere. And Jamie Alexiak is another guy. Boy, they really think they have something with him. They think there's a legitimate top four potential with Alexiak, and I see why. I mean, he showed some real flashes last season, and even when his game was off, he wasn't terrible. And he gives them that size, that physicality that really no one else on their blue line can provide. So they really like those two. Uh, and they like Riley Shea, too. They were very pleased, in fact, with what he did, and I'm sure he'll be back as the fourth-line center. The only tricky thing with him, but when you have that much money invested in your top three centers, you have to be careful with how much money you're giving your fourth-line center. But that said, he was a very effective player. Uh, I don't think Jim Rutherford's going to make a small trade or a tweak this summer, Josh. He tends to make impact moves. Do you expect Rutherford to go big? Uh, it certainly would not surprise me. Um, you're right, that is his history, and I do sense from Jim he does have a concern that these Penguins have probably grown a little bit stale, and just because they played so much hockey. He would love to make a move that will really inject some youth, and I don't mean a rebuilding process. I just mean a couple of good younger players. Now, doing that, of course, is easier said than done. But, yeah, Jim wants to do something. That's absolutely uh, in his DNA, and he knows this team needs a little bit of a change-up. Mike Sullivan is stubborn. I wrote a column about that. It could be both a strength and a weakness. In what ways does he have to be careful about it being a weakness? Well, 
you know, much like you, I have a lot of respect for Sullivan. Oh, me Those too. I'm a Sully guy, but uh, but you know, I was a Dan Bilesma guy once too. <laughs> no, I understand. I read your column, and you're right. I, I mean, Mike Sullivan's a hell of a coach. I don't think anybody is doubting that. If he has a weakness, and it's a weakness that a lot of coaches have, I don't think he deals all that well with eccentric personalities. And you know the names, whether it's Phil Kessel or Ian Cole or Daniel Sprong. The, the, Ryan Reeves is another one, a very engaging, personable guy. Sometimes coaches don't like that. Uh, coaches want guys to be like Sidney Crosby, to be kind of very robotic in their approach. And not everyone is like that. Now, specifically in the Kessel situation, I'm not necessarily blaming Sullivan for this rift between the two or whatever you want to call it. Uh, Sully's not the first coach who didn't like Phil Kessel. But, you know, is it a weakness? I don't know. But he has an ego, and sometimes you have to check your ego a little bit and deal with certain players differently. And, and I think that's probably a challenge for him right now. Yeah, I, I, I do too, and I think it's important to remember, as I've said on this show and in my column, Josh, this is a player's team. It's not a coach's team. That'll never change. That is as much part of this team's DNA as anything else I can think of. And if Mike doesn't believe that, he needs to ask Scotty Bowman or perhaps the owner. Well, yeah, as I recall, Scotty Bowman was once told to no longer come to practices. So you're, you're absolutely right. If ever there has been a player's franchise, a star's franchise, it is this one. And it's worked. Um, of course it has. There's no question about the. The only thing I will say to counter that, you're not wrong. It absolutely is. But I will say this. Jim Rutherford is a GM, and with that comes a lot of power. And I still think he'll be the GM for a couple of more years. But he defers to Mike Sullivan an awful lot. Um, Sullivan usually gets what he wants. Sullivan didn't like Ryan Reeves, so he was traded. Uh, Sullivan didn't want to play Daniel Sprung. Jim Rutherford sent him back down. Uh, there's a list of, of items that will show they're not always on the same page, but ultimately I think Jim will defer to Sullivan more times than not. So that's something to keep in mind. Yeah, but, but by the same token, you can't just have a coach say, okay, Ian Cole, get rid of him. Ryan Reeves, get rid of him. Daniel Sprung, send him down. At some point, he's got to do a better job with the resources provided, and some of these resources were traded for by Rutherford and almost immediately dismissed by Sullivan. Yeah, and there, it's weird because on the surface, Sullivan and Rutherford are so close, and yet there does come across as something of a disconnect with some of the moves that we've seen in the last 12 months. And Listen, Sullivan has had unbelievable success, but maybe he was humbled a little bit by what happened in the playoffs and some of the decisions that were made, and, and maybe he will change his approach slightly. I, I don't think he's a problem or the problem, but he's not perfect either, and, and great coaches have to adapt, and, and I think he does probably need to sit back and say, okay, maybe I don't really care for a couple of these guys' personalities, but maybe I can't always have it my way in that regard. Maybe that's a uh, you know, if we want to keep winning, we have to do things slightly differently. Finally, Josh, uh, interesting take by Keith Olbermann, who I don't think knows anything about hockey, but that won't stop him. Uh, he was talking about the possibility of Vegas winning the Stanley Cup, and he said you might see teams trade stars for, like, eight-second liners. In fact, he specifically said Connor McDavid for eight-second liners. Obviously, that's dramatic to make a point, but it's interesting to ponder. If Vegas wins... Will that change the priorities of GMs on how a team's assembled in what has always been a copycat league? You know, I was actually thinking about this the other day, and the whole Vegas story, I mean, it's great entertainment. It, it is a, an amazing story. If an expansion team was the cup, you know, we've never seen anything like it before. We won't again. But that said, it makes me think about the NHL, which has always been the anti-superstar league. 
is it necessarily a good thing if a team really with no stars goes out and wins the Stanley Cup? Uh, I don't know. Um, you know, we've always said the stars sell the game, and I, I hope all GMs don't think, gee, we don't need stars now. Let's get a bunch of above-average players, and that'll win the Cup. I, I don't know if that's the best thing for the uh, game long-term in terms of entertainment value, but it is a copycat league, so it certainly would not shock Josh, great stuff. We'll do it again next week. All right, Mark, you got it. That's Josh. We got Bob McGawkin up next. After that, we'll talk to Xbox Sean Waltman at 530. I'm Mark Mad 105.9. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Hey, Big Sexy. Hey, Mark. Love the show, man. You can have the iron sheet, the humble one person. Who would it be? Sally Wiggins again. The X at 105.9. Joined now by Bob McGawkin. Bob brought you by 84 Lumber. Bob, uh, what was your take when Musgrove uh, slid hard and got into Baez's face last night? I thought it was uh, not too little, but perhaps too late. Yeah, a little bit too late, uh, a little bit over the bag, so I thought, okay, here we go. Uh, but it is funny, though, in a situation like that, Mark, where you don't really think anything's going to happen. Boy, the people from the bullpen in the outfield, they really charge in there fast, don't they? They are all geared up for something to go, and then it's just a whole lot of nothing. I mean, why don't they fight right then when they come out of the well, bullpen? Nobody, nobody wants to be a sissy. But nobody wants to really fight either. Like Will Arnett said in semi-pro, right. these girls aren't going to fight. <laughs> and that's the first thing I thought of when they did indeed rush from the dugouts and the bullpens last night. Uh, a, a bit more current topic, the Pirates are at St. Louis tonight. And uh, even though they won last night, they still got to get a, a legitimate turnaround going here uh, ASAP. And Gregory Polanco's in the lineup and Austin Meadows is not. I'll, I'll break down the stats even further in a little bit. But Meadows is 10 for his last 22. Polanco is 0 for his last 22. <laughs> you need to break him down any more than that? No, you know what, Mark? I think that uh, I think your skip, uh, Clint Hurdle, he likes going. He likes giving people second, third, fourth, fifth chances. He likes going with some of the... He should and, like winning mo- most of all. No, I totally understand that. But, um, boy, you... Th- Think about him going with the gut sometimes. I know that he likes the numbers and he likes things his way, but sometimes I think he just likes to, you know, give a guy another chance and put him in there because it just it doesn't make any sense to take Meadows out right now. A, the fans are loving it. B, the team's winning behind him or doing better behind him. They have a better chance with him in there. Um, and Polanco just, just doesn't get it. He is not just slipping. He's slumping. It's not good for him right now. Uh What's your take on the attendance, Bob? I, I witnessed the crowd or lack thereof last night at PNC. 14,000 tickets sold, and they are on pace for their lowest attendance in the history of PNC Park. Uh, that That's shocking. I mean, I get it because they betrayed the trust of the fans, but such a dramatic drop since 2015, I mean, conceivably could be more than half. It's absolutely shocking, and I see no end in sight. I don't see any way to restore the trust outside of winning a division. And that wouldn't be restoring the trust. It would just be winning a division. Yeah, that would have the people coming back just for the winning. But I'm surprised, Mark, at how much it's dropped. I didn't expect this at all because I thought over the last number of years where I thought it was going to drop more, it didn't. And I thought, oh, maybe, you know, they'll just they'll jo- stay away a little bit this year. But I'm surprised by the numbers also. I have no idea if some of those people that have been going to five, eight, ten games a year, if they have any plans about coming back at all this season, win or lose in the hunt or not. Uh, Bob, uh, what's your take on game two last night? Uh, 
I won't say the Capitals won well, but they won. Holtby had to yank one out of his backside, and uh, Brooks Orpik scored. I'm not so sure that Holtby's going to make another save like that or that Orpik's ever going to score again still. One game apiece is one game apiece. Yeah, it's pretty incredible, Mark. I mean, these games, these Stanley Cup runs are made up of instances like that Holtby save last night. I jumped up. I thought it was in already. I could not believe that save. Uh, million to one shot, Doc. You know, that's what you could say. And I guess you could say, say the same thing about Brooks Orpik putting it in the net. <laughs> I don't know so. what was uh, what was more spectacular, uh, Orpik scoring at all or Holtby making that save. I got to go with the save. I mean, it was right there. And how about after the save? Um, the Vegas Golden Knights are kind of milling around trying to figure out what the hell happened. Orpik comes around the net and just gives him a shot right after he had just been stopped. A little bit of salt on the wound, I would say. Now, that was Thomas Tuck that shot that puck, right? Uh, was it Mc, Was it McNabb? I thought it was Tuck that, 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 that... Oh, you mean the shot by McNabb on... Uh... On uh, that injured because uh, that's off. No, I was talking about the the Alex shot. Tuck that, shot okay, the then it was I Tuck. Yeah, some people are saying, "Oh, he should have shot higher. He should have shot lower." Oh my god, I disagree. I I think he just unloaded the puck as soon as it got to him, and that's all you could ask for in a situation like that. It was an instantaneous shot because the pass was perfect. If he would have juggled around with it a little bit, you know, he would have been by the net by the speed he was coming in. It was a great shot. It was a million to one save. It was perfect. And like I said, as I stood there trying to figure out where the puck was, I just saw Orpik come around. Everybody's standing there, and he just crushed Tuck. So, although Orpik got crushed also earlier behind the net, um, Orpik was all over the place last night. He was physical. He was smart. He got the goal. Uh, I agree with Josh Yoey in his segment before this. Um, boy, he's playing a much better game right now. He's nothing like he was last year. That's Bob McLaughlin. Up next, we're going to talk about overreaction to team jerseys. Team jerseys. That's 30 seconds away on 105.9.